0: Once upon a time, there was a man named Billy Joe Brown. And Billy Joe Brown was tending to himself in a field, working on his plants, putting some seeds in the ground, making sure everything was okay. When all of a sudden, his arch nemesis, Charlie McDuckin, rolled into town after decades of being away. Look at what happened. Kids, is this what's supposed to happen with your enemies, with the bullies, or the people you don't like, or the people who aren't your friends? What should they have done instead? Can anybody tell me? Be kind. What else should they do? Be kind. Yeah, thank you, Fox. Uh, not punch each other. Not punch each other. Great start. <laughs> yeah, what else? Absolutely. They could talk it out instead of hurting one another. Do you think we should give them another chance? Okay. Let's see. Okay. Rewind. Okay. Let's try it again. Once upon a time, there was a farmer out in his field named Billy Joe Brown. He was minding his own business, tending to the field, looking at his plants, planting some seeds, when all of a sudden... His arch nemesis roll back into town, Charlie McDuckin. After decades, what happens? What are you doing here? I thought I told you, never to come back. Well, I came back anyway, didn't I? Well, you did come to mind this morning. I prayed for you, and I forgive you. <sighs> <laughs> and see, let's give them a round of applause. You guys, you guys didn't know Joe had this many talents, did you? He's really good at rolling into town. Okay, you know what, you guys? This is exactly what Jesus tells us to do with the people that we have arguments with or fights with, even people that bully us or they might be our, be our enemies. Yeah. Okay, that sounds awesome. So Jesus tells us to love our enemies, to pray and even bless those who persecute us. So I hope that while you're sitting in your seats, you might even be able to hear a little bit of what I have to say to the grownups about that. But I'm pretty certain that you might even be better at this than the grownups. Shh, don't tell them. Let me pray for you really quick. Jesus, we thank you so much that you love us so much that we're able to love everyone in the world, including our enemies. Help us to do that with your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, go have a seat, you guys. Let's give a round of applause to our kids. Can you tell I used to be a camp director? Well, if I haven't met you, my name is Emily Kreider and I am a covenant partner of this church and ordained eco-pastor. And I have the, the gift of being a part of this community. I also serve graduate students and faculty at CU Boulder through InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. It's a national ministry that cares for students on campuses all over. Thank you for the ways that you've supported us and partnered with us in ministry. You know, it's interesting. Um, we're gonna call the July Fourth weekend Sunday the Emily Kreider weekend because they like to to have me preach this Sunday every year. So last Sunday I was here too. I don't know if you remember fireworks. It was great. But I did talk about forgiveness when I was here last. We've had a lot going on in the life of our church in the last few years. And I talked a little bit about forgiveness and its power for our souls. It's power in our relationship with one another. And we've seen change. There's hope to be had in our relationships with one another and where God might be taking us. And so I want to continue our series that we've been working through on to one another on one another to create the soil in our hearts and in the life of our church that allows for us to love one another well. So they gave me a really easy topic called (laughs) loving our enemies. Let's start with the word as it guides us in all things. Matthew chapter five, verse 43 is where I'll begin if you'd like to follow along. Again, Matthew chapter five, verses 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sets rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Or what's in it to you? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is a bit of an incriminating word for us, and it comes on the heels of the Beatitudes, where Jesus is saying, blessed are the merciful, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, coming alongside anyone who might need a bit of strength, guidance, and care, and he says then, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Other translations say, bless those who persecute you. Praying is one thing, but to bless those who persecute you or who are your enemies, that's a different thing. Now, in the past, you might have heard this passage of scripture like I have being a kid of the church, so to speak, and you might have thought, well, loving our enemies, that's easy. I'm like, not in the military or like, I don't, go around hating my enemies and and making violence out of something or yelling at people or condemning people. But folks, I might commend to you that we tend to make extra enemies out of people more than we even love them. I know let's take a deep breath. (laughs) We tend to make enemies out of things and people before we even love them. And there's no time like the present to see that more completely. Now listen, last week Dave Palmer gave a really great sermon and you guys got really charismatic about it and you said amen a lot and you got excited and it was probably me in the back row. It's fine. But if you could just... Join me in this moment if you feel things that are true, if you're getting excited, pretend like you're charismatic and not Presbyterian. Okay. (laughs) We make enemies out of our neighbor instead of love them. First, we make enemies out of things we don't understand or people we don't understand, they might have had different experience than us or people who may have had different childhoods or upbringings and they do really wacky stuff and you can't make sense out of it and then you get angry and ostracize and criticize and judge that's making an enemy out of somebody. We also make enemies out of things or people we can't control. There's nothing that has taught me more about that than being a mother of toddlers. <laughs> I <laughs> I have three very small children. One just turned four, 21 months and seven months. There's very little control I have over my kids. I imagine if you have teenagers, you feel the same way. They're the same, toddlers and teenagers. But even more, there's politicians we can't control. There's neighbors who do things in their yard that mess our yards up. We make enemies out of them. We also make enemies out of things or people that we fear. We become afraid, and so we jump into that physiological response of fight, flight, or flee, and instead of engaging in love, we've then made an enemy out of it. And sometimes you have to do those things to keep yourself safe. And in some situations, that's okay. But we've gotta think clearly about when we use those responses because we want nothing to do with it. We wanna make an enemy out of it. So how do we respond instead? What does it actually mean to love our neighbor? I'm gonna get pretty practical for us today. All you type A people say amen. Because I get to lead graduate students in a ministry that is ecumenical, meaning that there are all kinds of Christian beliefs that have joined our ministry. We're not a Presbyterian ministry or a Baptist ministry on campus. We're just grad students and faculty. We have no denominational affiliation. And so, because I lead them, they're not coming with a supposed experience or background of beliefs that are identical to the person next to them. They're all coming from a variety of geographical locations across this country, maybe the South, the Pacific Northwest. They're coming from all over the world, even, from Colombia and Nigeria and Kenya. And you can imagine when you put all of those different lives and experiences, ways of thinking, ways of feeling in one room, that to get around the same table theologically could be a challenge. But here's where the younger generation can teach us. Just on Wednesday night, our conversation turned to the most recent Supreme Court rulings. Now, there is nothing in our country that is arguably more Polarizing than that right now. And you can imagine that Christians in all of life could have different views about that. I'm not here to give you my political views, so just don't worry. We're not going there. But I want to use these students as an example because what happened is that with passion and an emphasis on what they believe, they brought their opinions, though clashing, to one another and chose to seek understanding. They chose to seek relationship, and they chose to change their posture so that they could enter in like Christ and be loving, even if they chose to disagree by the end of the conversation. It was so beautiful, I came home to my husband John like a proud mama and bowed in tears and was like, if we didn't have kids, they'd be mine. One of the things I loved about them is that they encouraged one another that when we, when we go towards making an enemy out of something or someone that we stop. And we pray, we hold our tongue and we listen to the spirit remind us that every created being, human in the world is an image bearer. They possess the image of, of God, whether they believe in Jesus or not. So that when you see someone, though you might disagree with them, when you see someone, though you might want to argue and judge and criticize, remember, you're looking at the face of God. Does that change your response? Does that change your response? One student had a remarkable story to tell where her prayer is, Lord, give me a vision for this person that you have not the one I have for them. Give me the vision that you have. And friends, if we are good Presbyterians and know our theology, we know that that means they're made in the image of God and have intrinsic value, worthiness. They possess the kind of spirit that God says, well done, look at that creation. God is pleased with what he creates. So let me give you three responses to the things that I offered earlier. When we make enemies out of things we don't understand, don't make an enemy, become a student. Become a student, evaluate, empathize, learn, put yourself in their shoes. Begin to understand someone else's experience. Now, if you're sitting in this room or listening on the screen, you can almost 90% be 90% sure that you're coming from a perspective or position of privilege, both in wealth and in race and in, in position in the world. That is okay, let me say, but this colors your perception on what's right and wrong in somebody else's experience and sometimes even how we read the Bible. So, it's important, folks, to become learners and empathizers. What I saw those graduate students do tell me where you got your opinion. Where does that come from? Help me understand how you got there. Let's love one another by learning and empathizing. When you're making an enemy out of things that you can't control, pull back for a moment and trust God. Trust God. The criticism, the judgment, the holding up what's right and wrong, though it has a place in the way that we work in the world, this is God's job. And this was the word that he gave the Pharisees all the time. Now, I can assure you that feeling like you're out of control is very, very vulnerable. Once again, may I remind you, I'm the mother of small children. It's vulnerable to feel like we can't get a grasp on things or that folks might make a decision that we don't like. It might feel like it exposes us. Remember, we serve a God who's trustworthy. Do you trust him? Do you trust him to handle this? Folks, Psalm 23:5 says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. It's not my job. Jesus does that for us, the great shepherd. Even verse 45 in this passage that we read says, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Relax, friends, relax. God has this. He's holding it and he's holding you. Choose relationship over being right. This is where the Pharisees got it wrong choose relationship over being right. Folks, our younger generation has watched us make an idol out of being right or having some kind of supposed theological certainty and then prioritizing that over relationship. It's left us alienating family members and ostracized people groups in the life of the church. It's time to choose to be like Christ, offer hope, Peace, healing, love, truth, yes. And also unreasonable grace. First in relationship over being right. Can I get an amen? amen. Thank you. We can pretend like we're charismatic. Now out of things or, or people that you fear and you make an enemy, when we're afraid, we do all kinds of really silly things. We do, we make really silly decisions. Take enough time to pray and evaluate, to learn about when you're afraid. And though you might first feel angry, let's remember what James chapter 1, verse 19 says. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Let me read that in Eugene Peterson's message version. It says this. Listen closely. Post this to all the intersections, dear friends. Lead with your ears. Follow up with your tongue. And let anger straggle along in the rear. God's righteousness doesn't go, grow from human anger. Righteous anger may have a place, but God's righteousness doesn't grow from human anger. So throw all spoiled virtue and cancerous evil in the garbage. In simple humility, let our gardener God landscape you with the word, making a salvation garden of your life. What a beautiful picture of what the church ought to be and what you as a person, you all as a family of God ought to be. We all need to look as if we are a salvation garden full of life. Anger, bitterness, resentment doesn't allow for that. Choosing to be right over relationship does not allow for that. Choosing a posture of certainty and rightness does not allow for that. A posture of prayer and humility, there grows the garden of salvation, of life. It's the posture that we choose over our position, seeing others in the image of God. What soil is your heart made of? Family. I'm reminded as I studied for this sermon of Galatians chapter five, I actually read this two years ago preaching on it, probably July 4th weekend. (laughs) Galatians chapter five, let me remind you, um, if you're wondering what this salvation garden ought to look like, it's this. People full of love, joy, peace, patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, hear me, gentleness, and self-control. Could we say that about ourselves? Could we say that about our family? I think some days, yeah, we can. There is a lot of beauty to be had here. But as we are here, one another, in this sermon series, and Dave preached an outstanding sermon last week on loving one another, go back and listen It also means when the loving becomes hard and loving our enemies. So here's a little exercise and some self-evaluation. How often do you simply linger in your anger, bitterness, or resentment? What does that do for your relationships? My sense is that it's probably heavier for you to carry than you realize. And a life with Christ is abundance and flourishing full of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, it doesn't mean that we have to to become lazy or inactive of our convictions or what we believe to be true, but it does mean acting in a way that builds bridges instead of severs relationship and witness. Now, this is all nice and well, but none of it is possible without first knowing how fully and completely Jesus loves you. If you are unclear about how much Jesus cares for you, and how his grace is so unreasonable for you, and for your neighbor, if you have yet to actually fully receive Jesus without thinking you just need to do all the things right or have the right next step all the time, there's a chance you might need to go back and say, "Jesus, I actually don't know that I know you." Will you help me to know you again? Help me to receive your love. It's such an ambiguous, ambiguous thing to, to get a hold of how to receive Jesus' love, but if you're unclear about your own value and your own soil and whether or not Jesus loves you, let me say without a shadow of a doubt. Jesus cares more for you than you could ever imagine. No matter what you do, no matter what you believe, no matter if you think you're right or wrong or up and down. And you gotta get clear, folks, about that. If you haven't made a commitment to a life with Jesus, maybe you think you have and you've been sitting here for like 20 years, I don't know, and this is all sounding new for the first time. I've been there I've been overwhelmed by Jesus at different stages of my life and returned again and again and again. It's not a one and done.